Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. I'm Rod. And you're listening to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Just One More Thing. In today's episode, we are covering the Easter sermon from April 9th called The Day Death Died. Now, you started off this sermon by saying we're having a funeral. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your approach was for this particular Easter sermon? So I've preached probably uh, 33 either Easter sermons or series. And so this Easter was different in so far as we came right at you, right with a, I call it a frontal assault on on what was going on on Easter. Um, we did it through Lincoln's uh retelling of the Easter story. We did it through songs and even our video clip from The Passion of the Christ. And what I wanted to do that was a little bit different, I wanted to talk about it from the other side of the coin. I wanted to talk about Easter from the other flip side of the coin, which was uh, the role of death and how death was finally defeated at Easter and what the implications of that was. And so I, I it was more of a theological sermon than an expositional sermon. And uh, where I, I knew where I wanted to end up, which is we can live fearlessly because death has been defeated. And uh, in the end of Revelation, uh, John tells us that death will be no more. So um, that, that was kind of a unique way to do Easter, at least for me. And um, uh, it, it evidently it spoke to some people's hearts pretty uh, it was very encouraging, I'll put it that way, based on the responses I, I received. Yeah, and I think it was interesting how you focused on the gardens, plural. So you focused on the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and then, of course, the garden where the tomb was. Can you talk a little bit about the connection between these locations? Yeah, because the uh, the Garden of Eden was actually where death uh, was first mentioned and came forth uh, where it's uh, it was born you might say in any obituary there's a there's a listing of where the person was born and where they died and what I thought about was it was the aspect of the garden that linked all of this together with death being born in a garden and then in the garden of Gethsemane and in the garden tomb where Jesus defeated death when I asked people uh, where did death? Where was death defeated? They said uh, most people answered on the cross. Well, sin was defeated on the cross. Death was defeated on Easter Sunday, and um, when Jesus came out of that tomb, he broke death's hold on humanity. It's like death has been defamed now. That showed up in the life of the disciples when they were threatened. They said, you can do whatever you want, but we must speak the name of Jesus. They knew whatever that anyone could imagine as being the worst thing that would happen to them would not be the last thing that would happen to them because they had seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. They had seen the Messiah resurrected, and they could live fearlessly because of that. Yeah, it's not that death immediately vanishes. I mean, we all know that death is still a part of this world, but the diagnosis was terminal. <laughs> but when you see what happens when Jesus is raised from the dead, because you have Lazarus before that, you have Jairus's daughter before that. So you see that death isn't the end when Jesus is involved. But once you see that Jesus on his own has been resurrected, 
It's like the certified stamp that says, yep, this is absolutely done. That's right. This is bigger than whatever death can throw at, at humanity. So, um, and he, he defeated uh, death there. And you're right. It was certifiably defeated. And, and uh, one of the things I brought in at the sermon was that, uh, you know, Jews, I, I didn't bring this in at the sermon, but I brought it into talking, I think, to our family. The Jews celebrate, um, you know, their, their uh, Sabbath begins Friday evening t- until Saturday evening. And what they celebrate is God's creative power, that God created the world and then he rested. So they follow suit in, in resting and following God in that. We celebrate on Sunday and every single Sunday we gather to worship, what we're doing is we're reminding death that it lost, that death no longer has a hold on us, death no longer has a hold on humanity, that through the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by simple faith, we live again. And that eternal life starts immediately, immediately upon put, placing our faith in Christ uh, and for what he did and in believing in him for life. We have life at at that very moment. You know, every Sunday is Easter when you think about it that way. A couple questions that I had just because of some things that came up in the sermon. First, we had a little bit of an issue with the Timothy verse. We put up 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, and it was supposed to be 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. So can you read the second Timothy verse and how that would have worked in? Yeah, and and that was my fault. Uh, I... My process of preparing, I do a lot of handwriting in my process of preparing. And I'd written 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And then when I transferred that to print, uh, I copied the verse right uh, off of uh, Bible Gateway, but I gave it the wrong reference. I gave it 1 Timothy. So that was an awkward moment. But it happens, and uh, I take blame for that. But here's what 1 Timothy 1, 9 says. This is really the grace aspect of Easter that I really wanted to bring in. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So life and immortality was hidden. It was in darkness. It was in something that that man could, could not even imagine, could not reach for, and yet he's brought it to life where it's there for us if we will just accept Christ. And and he I love the way the NIV says it, who has destroyed death. Christ on Easter decimated death. And so uh, that is what Paul's encouragement to Timothy means to us. We are to walk in our lives in such a way, understanding that death has been destroyed through the work that Christ did, not only on the cross on Good Friday, but on because of that empty tomb on Sunday morning. Yeah, as the song says, Friday's good. Because Sunday is coming. Yeah, that was a great song that we did, and um, it was it was very powerful. So another question I had is about the Jesus seminar that you brought up. What was the purpose of it? Why were theologians trying to join this group, and why are they now 
hesitant to associate with it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was sometimes things hit me in the moment. Uh, and, and that was one of those those uh, items. I went back and did a little bit of reading on the Jesus Seminar. It's been several years. Oddly enough, it became a group my very first year of seminary, 1985. And uh, what I found out was that uh, it's disbanded. In 2006, it, it totally disbanded. I didn't know that. And, and let me just speak a little bit about you know who who they are and, and what they did and kind of what their purpose and their their mindset was. Um, they were a group that wanted to look at the historical Jesus. Um, you know, th- there would be people that said Jesus never existed. Well, there was way too much evidence for that. So there are people that wanted to look at the historical Jesus, and what they mean by that is, we're going to look at Jesus as a man. And as a man, we know several things. Number one, he could not do miracles. Number two, he could not rise from the dead. Number three, he was not born of a virgin. Number four, and you can see how the list will go on. So they put Jesus in a box, and they said, let's study him from this box. And so, therefore, they must explain how these uh They'll call them myths, stories about Jesus evolved, and that's what they're working on. Well, uh, in when I was in seminary from 1985 to 1989, uh, this group of scholars was really getting going, and, and a lot of people were being associated with them. And you know, under under a bright light, they ended up quickly uh, uh, running away and. Their ideas could not hold the uh, academic scrutiny of, of looking at them. And so um, so I just found out they disbanded in uh, 2006. You know, one of the things I was trying to do in the message was that people keep coming up with alternative, uh, alternative theories to what happened Easter. And no one's come up with one that satisfies all of the available evidence. People will jump on one train about uh, he must not have died, and then uh, when that is answered, they say, well, he had to have died, and, and they'll jump on another train. But you would think in 1990 years that someone would have come up with a theory that holds together, and, and everybody would say, yes, this, is, this definitely explains all the available evidence. But nobody's been able to do that. You know, what it comes down to for me is you ask yourself— were the writers of the Gospels, were they men of integrity? Were they trying to uh, relay the facts and the ideas that they experienced? Were they truthful or were they deceptive? And if they were deceptive, why wouldn't they be deceptive as it relates to their own lives? And what I mean by that is all of the disciples, they they do something that uh, makes you go, yeah, you know, why did you do that? You know, Peter denying Christ. Why why would you publish that? If your idea is to hold power and to influence people, then what you want to do is have a strong resume, a resume that says, hey, I've I've earned my stripes because I've always been right. If the Documents of the New Testament show us anything. It's that um, all of all of God's people, Old and New Testament, they are uh, 
fallible human beings, and they fail, whether it's King David, whether it's Moses, whether it's Abraham, whether it's Peter, the, the quote-unquote head of the church. Uh, they fail. They have their... Um, uh, they have their foibles, as it were. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think all of that reflects on the integrity of the text, that the, that the disciples were not trying to lie to us. They were, were not trying to manipulate us. They gave the facts as the facts were. Let me give you one example of that. Um, all of the Gospels have uh, women uh, discovering the empty tomb of Jesus. If you were making that story up, you would never, in that culture, never have women discovering the empty tomb of Jesus because women were not considered to be true witnesses. Their, their testimony in a court of law would not count. So why would they put that in there? The, the only thing that explains why they would put that in there is that it happened that way. And, and what I love about the disciples, it appears to me, at least from my perspective, that they were going to say, they were saying, here's the truth and let the chips fall where they may. And that's the thing scholars like those of the Jesus seminar would have a problem with because they would argue amongst themselves because as soon as they come up with one theory, there's something in the text that puts that down, and so there was no theory that fit perfectly except there was a man that died on the cross. He was put in a borrowed tomb, and it wasn't like a, a graveyard today. It wasn't like there are tombs everywhere. There's only certain amounts of tombs, and those are owned by rich people. He was put in a tomb, and three days later, it's not that they went to the wrong tomb. That was one explanation. They knew exactly where he was buried. They went to the tomb, the tomb was empty, and he was seen that very day on that first Sunday morning, and he was seen after that for a period of 40 days. And uh, nothing explains that other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you might think that's improbable. You might think it's impossible. But it happened, and you've got to deal with it. And then when you consider that the disciples, if they were lying and manipulative and just making up this story, why was Peter put to death? Why did he carry the false story all the way to his own death? Other disciples as well. And then you look at Paul. He went from persecuting the church, killing Christians, and then he had this encounter with Jesus. And then he was totally different and he was the greatest missionary that the world has seen. You can't explain that if they were all in on this myth, this false story, this cover-up. Because uh, now, not Paul, but but many of the other disciples were quote unquote unlearned men. But then you're going to give them a sophistication that they can manipulate and write and do these things. It just doesn't work. It, every time that people who come at the biblical text as if it is trying to manipulate and to deceive the reader, their story, their logic falls apart. And the Apostle Paul, he, you know, ultimately he, he rose in stature, but it was a dangerous thing to be a Christian back then. You were against all the power brokers. You know, 11 of the 12 disciples, and I'm, I'm not counting Judas, I'm counting Paul as, as one of the 12. Uh, 11 of the 12 died a martyr's death, and none of them, 
Not a single one that died recanted the stories that they had told. And that just, I mean, that's bad in a thousand percent. And, and that just doesn't happen. It's just not realistic to think that they would all lie and die for a lie. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, the only explanation is it has to be real. That's it. Um, I like one of the things that you had in your notes. Um, a crucified Messiah is a failed Messiah. However, the resurrection changed all of that because, as the Old Testament says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. But Jesus, in his life, he's he's flipping all the curses on its head. The curse of death, the curse of hanging on a tree, everything, he's, he's finishing it. And that's why I said it is finished. So thank you for breaking that down. And thank you all for bearing with us with a slightly longer episode than normal. But Easter deserves a nice long episode. So thank you for breaking that down. And thank you all for listening to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. <laughs>